Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is brought to our church by our worship pastor, Brian Self. We hope that this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. We are going to be in the book of 3 John for this evening. 3 John. Uh, I mentioned this morning, this is the shortest book of the Bible as far as uh, in the original language in Greek. Uh, This has the least amount of words of any book in the Bible. Uh, The book that's right next to it, 2 John, has the least amount of English words uh, in our Bible. So it's kind of the two shortest books of the Bible Uh, right next to each other. The one has the shortest words in Greek and the other in English. But these books kind of go together. And the way that they work together is that 2 John is kind of written to uh, a grouping of some local churches. These would have been smaller, maybe house churches um, that teachers were coming. They They were coming from different areas coming to these small house churches, and we're spreading heresy. Um, We can read about much of that heresy uh, with some of the things that Paul addresses in some of his letters. We know about the Judaizers, the legalists who said, okay, it's great that you have the gospel in Jesus, but you need to also add in all of these things from the law as well in order to maintain your salvation or in order to have a better standing before God. And in First and Second John, we can see some of the examples that said, okay, Jesus was maybe a great teacher. Maybe his death had some meaning for us, uh, but he wasn't God. And his, um, and his death on the cross uh, wasn't the final atonement for sin. You have to have Jesus and all of these works and other things that take place. So in Second John... The Apostle John writes and he says, okay, you need to shun these teachers. They are not from God. They are not proclaiming the true gospel. You need to ignore those teachers. Then on the flip side, in 3 John, he gives uh, this letter to a specific person named Gaius. And he tells him, you have received faithful gospel preaching teachers who were traveling through Good job, keep it up. And he gives him a warning about a person that was in another church in his local area. And he warns him about rejecting gospel teachers as well. This is a very, very short book, but it has four important themes that are kind of all throughout the book interlaced. And so what we're going to do tonight, normally we would go through uh, kind of verse by verse and uh, look at each of the thoughts of the sections. But because it's such a short book, we're going to look at the themes that are kind of interlaced throughout. Um, I'll give them to you right now if you, if you want to write them down or if you just want to know what they are. Those four themes are love, truth, family, and a hatred of entitlement hatred of entitlement. 
And we'll be looking at some of these as we go through. But the overall theme of the book is that a healthy church is marked by a love for God's people and God's truth. These are four marks of a healthy church. What we're going to do is we are going to uh, read through the entire book. It'll only take about two minutes, I believe. We're going to read the entire book of 3 John, and then we're going to dive into these four marks of a healthy church. That a healthy church loves sacrificially, a healthy church lives daily on God's truth, a healthy church learns to recognize family, and a healthy church loathes entitlement. And I believe that uh, looking at these four marks of a healthy church will be a personal encouragement to us um, as we go forward as a church that we would say, God, are these things present in me? And 3 John, though it addresses things, obviously it's in scripture, that would apply to the entirety of the church, it's written to a specific person, Gaius. And I think there's an important thought there that though what we're going to talk about tonight is applicable for every one of us as Christians. For a church to be healthy, it needs healthy individuals. The Bible would call us members or, or parts of the body. And we may say, I can't make everyone in my church have all four of these marks, but all of us individually could say, oh, I can love others. I can live daily on God's truth. I can learn to recognize my spiritual family and I can loathe entitlement. And all of this, a healthy church is marked by individual healthy Christians who have a love for God's people and God's truth. Um, if you would like to, uh, let's stand for the reading of God's word from 3 John it's technically chapter one. There's only one chapter. So normally we just say third John one through the end of the chapter. It says this, the elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren, and especially to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well, because that for his name's sake they went forth taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such, that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. Demetrius hath good report of all men, and of the truth itself, and we also bear record, and ye know that our record is true. I had many things to write, but I will not with ink and pen write unto thee, but I trust I shall shortly see thee, and we shall speak face to face. Peace be to thee, our friends salute thee, greet the friends by name. 
Don't you feel accomplished? You just read an entire book of the Bible. Let's pray, and we'll ask God to bless this evening service, and then uh, you may be seated. Dear Lord, thank you so much uh, for this book of Scripture. And God, we ask as we look at these four themes tonight, these four marks of a healthy church, uh, that you would help us to have a personal desire to implement them into our spiritual lives. We love you, God, and we ask that you'd speak to us tonight. Proud this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. So the very first thing, uh, theme that we are going to look at for this evening is that a healthy church loves sacrificially. And we can see this in verses 1 and 2, verses 5 and 6, and verse 11. And the first thing we see is that sacrificial love takes time. In this book, John is commending Gaius because when faithful gospel preaching teachers came through, He had taken them into his own house, provided hospitality. He had cared for them. He had brought them before the church. They had uh, taught the lessons that they had. And then uh, John was encouraging him to send the teachers on their way as well. But Gaius here spent time on these traveling teachers. That you cannot sacrificially love someone without spending time either on or with them. As believers, we would say maybe that we love all the people in our church, but we should, we should have a personal challenge or impetus that we would love others by spending time with them. Now, there's a lot of people in our church. If you are here this morning, I think uh, in total there was 133 people here, and you might say, man, It's going to take a long time to spend sacrificial love time with 132 people. Well, thankfully, we're not called all the time to spend massive amounts of time with everyone in the church at the same time. It might just be during a week that you would maybe get coffee or uh, spend some time talking with someone before or after growth groups. Or maybe you would just spend some time uh, even thinking about a person texting them, uh, letting them know that you prayed for them. Just make time for others. A healthy church, a healthy Christian uh, loves sacrificially, and sacrificial love takes time. Not only that, but sacrificial love takes resources. And we can see that Gaius did this, and uh, right now my my mom has been with uh, my wife and I and B and now Evelyn since... Oh, was it about last Saturday, Samantha? Yeah, about since last Saturday. And when you have someone over to your house, you buy food for them. You make sure that they have a a place to stay. Uh, You don't just bring them into your house, put them in a corner and go, okay, I'm housing you. You're doing good. And Gaius here took resources, food and uh, rooms in his house And he spent those resources on others. And it is a great thing of sacrificial love to spend our resources on others. Now, this doesn't mean that uh, if you're not spending at least 15% of your income on uh, buying gym food or on, don't buy dentist food because he'll eat a lot of it. Um, But... This doesn't mean that, okay, I've got to allocate whatever percentage of my resources, but simply as you're interacting with people, maybe God would lay it on your heart, hey, buy this person a coffee or 
maybe go out with this person or help this certain individual. A sacrificial love for a Christian takes resources. Uh, We know this as a church that we would uh, want to help others get to know the gospel, that uh, that's why we give to missions, is that we are giving of our resources to be able to help others. But as Christians, that should be something that we should desire and try to do as God has blessed us. Uh, That is kind of the main thought from 2 Corinthians when Paul's talking to the people at Corinth and he tells them, hey, your, uh, your love for the people in Jerusalem and your promise that, hey, I'm going to, we are as a church in Corinth going to send money to help support them during this time of famine and kind of destitution. They had done that and it had prompted many other churches in the regions of Macedonia and in other places to do the same, that their sacrificial love helped motivate others to do the same. So a healthy church loves sacrificially and that takes time, it takes resources, it takes words. Uh, we can see this throughout the passage. Uh, the word beloved or well-beloved is used, I believe, four or five times in verse one, the well-beloved Gaius. Uh, verse number two, beloved, I wish above all things. Uh, verse number five, beloved, thou doest faithfully. And then down in verse 11, beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. We can see it all throughout uh, this letter as he writes about the brethren or the brothers. And we can see it uh, even in verse number 14, where it says, Our friends salute thee, greet the friends by name. It is a great thing to verbally encourage others. Sometimes people can go through life and they just assume, okay, someone is telling Thomas or Elijah or Stacia or Uh, Miss Ruth, someone is telling them about what a good job they're doing. Someone is encouraging them. Someone is telling them, I love you. I'm for you. I want to encourage you in your walk. Someone's telling them that. However, what we can see from this epistle with John is that John took special time to let Gaius know, hey, what you're doing is good. And so I'm going to tell you that you are beloved. You are loved. And we should make it a regular habit as Christians to let others know that we love them, whether that be family members, friends, uh, even people at our church. I'm thankful that our pastor will oftentimes tell us, I love you. And uh, maybe there was a time and generation where people would say maybe, oh, we, we just don't go around saying I love you, but it's a very biblical thing. And we can see it again and again and again in the book of 3 John that John tells guys, hey, you are beloved. And so uh, sacrificial love requires words that you would let others know that you love them. Not only that, but sacrificial love takes faithfulness. And this was something that Gaius had done and John was encouraging him to continue doing. Uh, There in verses three through five, I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and uh, and to the strangers. Here he's encouraging guys to continue in the actions that he was already doing. It's one thing to love others. It's another thing to love others faithfully, that it continues. 
Uh, it might be a little bit odd to someone if you were to say, I love you for maybe three weeks in a row. And then after that, they never hear I love you from you ever again. They might go, what did I do during week four to get them to hate me? Uh, it might be something that would say, oh, they, they used to spend some time with me or they used to shoot me a text saying that they were thinking about me or praying for me, uh, but now they no longer do it. And it is such an important thing for us that we would love faithfully, that it wouldn't just be a, I'm going to love other people for two weeks and then I can take a break for a year, but that we would be consistent in our faithful love. I think even of the verse in Proverbs 25, 19, confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. And man, none of us enjoy it when there's someone that we thought we could count on and then all of a sudden they fell through. Uh, the term nowadays would be they ghost us. We never ever hear from them again. Uh, I can think back to uh, even a time when uh, I was helping uh, my new wife move up from Oregon and uh, there was a guy that was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna help you guys move. And uh, he was gonna be the only guy that was there with us. Our only other help was uh, I think some five, three uh, girls and, uh, and myself and Samantha. And so I was like, great, because he was six foot something. And, uh, and so I was like, awesome. This is so great that this person would take uh, his time and his resources and help us uh, get all of these things into the moving van, and he never showed up. And so uh, as we try and love other people, let's be faithful in our love that other people would be able to count on us, that they wouldn't say, I think they love me, or maybe it's just a matter of convenience for them. And that doesn't mean that we always have to be a slave to everyone else's needs, uh, there is a, a great element of having boundaries in our life where we would say, I'm exhausted. I'm not able to do that. Uh, but it would be a great thing if we would love others faithfully. And then uh, sacrificial love takes reliance on seeing God daily. If you look with me down at verse number 11, this is where this thought comes from. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. If we are going to sacrificially love others in a way that God would have us to, then it requires us to see God daily. It says those that do evil have not seen God. So then the encouragement to us, if you want to do good, if you want to love others as you should, let's go before God daily. And that's such an important thing for our Christian life. Uh, we talk about it often. I don't have a, a need to rehearse before you again what an important thing it is to spend time with God, but spend time in his word. Spend time praying to him. And like we learned about uh, during growth groups this past week, I'm so thankful that even when we've been unloving, when we've been selfish, when we haven't uh, had that love for others like we should, when we come to God and we say, God, yesterday I messed up. I didn't love like I should. That God always takes us back. He hears us. He has not taken away his spirit from us. And there is no condemnation in Christ that we are now sent out to walk in newness of spirit, in newness of life. And that is a great thing to do. 
So a healthy church loves sacrificially. And sacrificial love takes time, resources, words, faithfulness, and a reliance on seeing God daily. And then a healthy church lives daily on God's truth. In this, we see throughout the book about truth that truth demands action, both visible and invisible. If you look down at uh, verses number three and four, he says, I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. It's one thing to say with our words, oh yes, I, I believe the Bible, I believe in God, I believe that church is important, I believe that I should sacrificially love others. But for, uh, for us to be living in the truth, uh, the phrase there, walking in the truth, it requires action on our part. If we say that we believe the Bible, we ought to act as though we do. And this uh, includes both visible and invisible aspects. So there's the visible aspects that Gaius was walking in the truth and the traveling preachers, the brethren, they saw that in the life of Gaius and they reported it back to John and they said, that guy Gaius was amazing. He is doing a great job. That was a visible action. But if all you ever do as far as acting on your beliefs is in front of people and when you're not in front of people, you don't act on your beliefs at all. It's not a true belief. You're just acting. Uh, the, the word in scripture, uh, hypocrite, which would be an actor. Uh, normally nowadays, when we think of hypocrite, it's like, okay, this person is attempting to bamboozle everyone else. And, and oftentimes in our lives, it's not that we're trying to trick others. It's that we're just playing a part and we're not allowing God's truth to be real in our lives. So truth demands action, both visible and invisible. But then we also see that truth produces joy. Uh, you can see there in verse number four again, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. If truth in our lives makes us angry, judgmental, or suspicious, we're not quite viewing truth correctly. There was a group in, in Scripture that believed that they had the complete edge on truth, literally even more than God, and yet it wasn't implementing in them that fruit of the Spirit that is joy. We would know that to be the Pharisees. And so truth in our life is meant to produce joy. Does the truth of God, does the truth of God being lived out in others' life bring you joy? Do you find happiness in hearing that other people are leading someone to Christ or are having gospel conversations with someone, maybe a coworker or a family member? It should produce joy in us. And if you say, I, I just don't really get excited about spiritual things, I don't get excited about the truth, I'd encourage you, pray to God and ask for that joy. It is a fruit of the Spirit. And so if you ask God, Lord, please produce that fruit of joy in my life, God's not going to say, no, you don't get any joy. It's not for you. Uh, that's not what he's going to do. He is going to cultivate that because that is what it cultivated here in the first century for those that were following the Lord. And not only Gaius 
walking in truth, I assume was joy-filled, like we heard about from Pastor Carlos. As you're walking in the Spirit, you get joy. But then all those that were hearing about it, here the brethren and the Apostle John, they were also getting joy from the joyful, truth-filled walk that Gaius was having. So truth demands action, truth produces joy, and truth invites participation. Uh, Look down at verse number eight. We therefore ought to receive such, those faithful gospel teachers, the brethren, that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. Fellow helpers to the truth. If the gospel is true, and it is, it demands not merely acceptance, but participation. Here the word truth isn't just a uh, kind of philosophical thought, overall Truth in general, fellow helpers to all truth, that the sky is blue and gravity happens. That's not the kind of truth in particular that John is writing about. When he says that we would be fellow helpers to the truth, it's the truth of God's word, the truth of Jesus' redemption of mankind. If the gospel is true, then it invites us to participate, that we would tell others about the gospel, that we would tell others of the truth that we know that goes hand in hand with demanding action as well as encouraging others to come alongside of us. The truth of the gospel is that God has called out for himself a people. Uh, we learned at camp this year in 1 Peter 2 that uh, those people are uh, a royal nation, a holy priesthood, a peculiar or his very own special people. You are not called to Christianity alone. You are called to do it with others. Those are the people you're to love sacrificially, and they are those that you are to participate with in gospel work. So a healthy church loves sacrificially. A healthy church lives daily on God's truth. Thirdly, a healthy church learns to recognize family. I can't say family without thinking ohana. Fellow Christians, which is the specific family we're talking about. You're, you're not just going on 23andMe or Ancestry.com. We're talking about our Christian family uh, in the passage again and again and again. Uh, brethren, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. And fellow Christians are known by truth. Um, and we can see this throughout the passage, but I'm going to read uh, verse number three shortly. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. Fellow Christians are known by truth. From Galatians 1 through 3, 1 John 1 through 4, and Acts 4, we recognize that merely claiming to be a Christian does not make a person a Christian, and especially as it relates to the books of Second and Third John, there were many false teachers that were coming in and saying, "Okay, Jesus isn't God. Jesus's work isn't complete. Uh, you need Jesus and all of these other things that we're adding on to you." One who denies Jesus as God adds any requirements to his finished work of redemption or lifts any other name or writings up as providing salvation is anti-Christ or Messiah rejecting. We are to love those that are currently anti-Christ. So just because maybe a Jehovah's Witness comes to your door doesn't mean that you start throwing pots and pans and chanclas at them and telling them to get out of here. 
uh, we are to love those that are currently antichrist because like the apostle Paul, they may accept Jesus in his redemption eventually, but we are to mark and avoid their teachings knowing that those teachings end in damnation. The verse from Acts 4 with the apostles saying, there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved than the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, You can look at uh, in Galatians 1, the admonition that Paul gives of the we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which ye have received, let him be accursed or quite literally damned to hell. It is a very, very serious thing. Fellow Christians are known by truth. So a healthy church learns to recognize family. The underlying thought of 2 John is reject the false teachers. Realize who is not family and who is wolves trying to sneak in. Uh, Paul would put it in one of his letters as sneaking in, trying to steal your liberty, your freedom, like we heard about this morning that you have in Christ. So fellow Christians are known by truth. How do we know? It's those that accept Jesus as Savior, adding nothing to the gospel, adding nothing to Jesus's work. It's not Jesus and a little bit of me. It's all him, all the glory to him. So fellow Christians are known by truth, but fellow Christians deserve investment and love. Uh, You can look down at verse number eight of the passage. We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. This word receive is used, I believe, about 12 times. The underlying Greek word is used about 12 times in Scripture, and uh, it means a full reception. This is uh, the word that's used in the story of the prodigal son when the one who was far away from the father uh, gets up from the pigsty, comes back when he's a great way off. His father runs to him, falls on his neck, kisses him, brings him back, tells his servants to bring the best robe, to kill the fatted calf because he had received his son safe and sound again. That's that word is received, that full reception. This is how we are to treat fellow Christians, that they deserve investment and love. As in any family, there are sometimes some odd family members. But other Christians are worthy of your investment and love. So maybe over the next several weeks, you would maybe find one person, maybe on a Sunday morning, maybe on a Sunday night, maybe at a growth group that you would say, I'm going to invest into this person. I'm going to love them. They are worthy of that love. You'd say, what would make that person worthy of my investment in love? What, what makes them worth my time? Well, Jesus does. It is Jesus's child. It is one that Jesus bled and died for on the cross. It is a child that Jesus has adopted into his family. It is one that is part of your church family and your church body. Uh, The apostle Paul would say that we are members, we are body parts of one another. We are connected. Uh, He gives the example in 1 Corinthians of uh, your your pointer finger can't say to your pinky toe, uh, I don't need you at all. I have heard from people who don't have pinky toes that it throws off your balance a little bit. And uh, in just the same way, the pinky toe can't say to the pointer finger, I have no need of you. That's not how it works. We all are meant to be together. 
So fellow Christians are known by truth. Fellow Christians deserve investment and love, that reception, that full, lavished love. But then fellow Christians need support, defense, and friendship. And see this in verses 9 and 10. Uh, I wrote into the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. I mentioned this briefly a couple weeks ago, ago in our growth groups. But can you imagine being a person that is rejecting a letter from the Apostle John? Uh, some people assume this could have even been uh, the epistles of either First or Second John that John had written a copy of, had sent to their church, said, hey, read this. This tells you about uh, false teachers, about uh, following Jesus in, in a better way. Uh, here is all of this information. And Diotrephes, it says, loves to have the preeminence. He loves being first. He wanted all the attention to be on him. And he rejected a letter from the apostle John. And then verse number 10 is where we're drawing this specific thought of other Christians needing our support, defense, and friendship from is in verse number 10. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words and not content with just doing that. Neither does he himself receive the brethren, so these traveling teachers, and forbids them that would. So not only does he say, okay, uh, let me see, one person that was here in the... Uh, past however long would be Pastor Kurt Skelly. So Pastor Kurt Skelly comes by, he goes to come into the church building, and uh, evil Pastor Diotrephes says, oh, no, Pastor Skelly, you can't be here. I'm preaching tonight. He, he kicks Pastor Skelly out of the church, and uh, maybe Dale says, oh, no, I, I'd like to hear Pastor Skelly. I've heard him before. He's a good, faithful gospel preacher. And uh, then Pastor Diotrephes says, no, Dale, I'm kicking you out too. Uh, Diotrephes was just this wholesale rejection of this biblical truth. And so fellow Christians need our support, defense, and friendship. From verses 9 and 10, we can see when fellow believers are attacked or maligned, step up for them. Um, sometimes we, we bathe gossip or slander in this veneer of, uh, maybe a prayer request. We're like, oh, pray for so-and-so. They're really in trouble. And then we just list out this whole laundry list of terrible things that they've either done or we've imagined they've done or other people have imagined that they've done. And we need to be those as Christians that defend our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we would shut down gossip, that we would be those that would say, oh man, that's really hard to hear that. Would you, would you come with me and we'll go talk with this person uh, that we wouldn't be those that would be gossips, but instead we would be those that support and defend and befriend others. In verse number 12, uh, John says, Demetrius hath good report of all men and of the truth itself. Yea, and we also bear record and ye know that our record is true. So for Demetrius here, as far as recognizing family is concerned, uh, uh, with how uh, letters in the Greek and Roman world would have worked. Demetrius would have likely been the person that was taking this letter from John to Gaius. And so John is here giving the credentials of the guy that's bringing it. Of Okay, this isn't just some random person. This is a good guy. You can trust him. And we should do that as Christians, that 
we should help connect people together. That just as John here is connecting Demetrius and befriending him to Gaius and saying, hey, Gaius, you're doing a great job. You're following the truth. You're walking in the truth. Demetrius is a great guy that has a good report from everyone and from the truth itself. And we're telling you that he's a great guy and you know that we are telling the truth that we would be those that not only befriend people ourselves, sacrificially love people ourselves, but that we would connect others. Some of us know specific people in the church and we have a great relationship with them. And we know other people in the church that we have a great relationship with them. But this person over here and this person over here don't know each other and they don't have necessarily a relationship. And it can be a great thing for us as Christians to connect our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, I can think of the old hymn, bind us together, Lord, bind us together with love. Or there's another older one that I don't know, but I know the title, blessed be the tie that binds us. And uh, it is a great thing to connect and to befriend other Christians. And then in verse number 14, uh, he says, but I trust I shall shortly see thee and we shall speak face to face. Peace be to thee. Our friends salute thee. Greet the friends by name. Do you have friends in church? If not, I challenge you, invest in friendship. Invest in getting to know other people. They have the spirit of God. You have the spirit of God. And there will be such a rich uh, a richness in our church as we continue to cultivate friendships and relationships with people. And wherever in life you are, uh, if you're here at MLBC for the next 50 years or you are here at MLBC for the next five days, uh, wherever you attend church, have connections, intentionally befriend, invest in others. Fellow Christians are known by truth, deserve investment in love, and they need support, defense, and friendship. So a healthy church loves sacrificially. They live daily on God's truth. They learn to recognize family. And a healthy church loathes entitlement. And this is uh, mainly taken from uh, looking at the life of Diotrephes. Um, and we've already mentioned him. Very selfish, self-centered, doesn't want anything to do from anyone else, wants all the attention of the church to be on him. And so a healthy church does not have the mindset of diatrophies. A healthy church loathes entitlement. And entitlement is basically like a greed. So where greed would be, uh, I want money. Uh, entitlement would maybe extend that out a little bit to, I want all of the attention. I want all of the accolades. I want all of the glory. And so we can see from this book to combat entitlement, we ought to invest in others. And we've talked a bit about this. Uh, just want to mention from verse number five, where he says, beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do to the brethren and to strangers who have borne witness of your charity before the church, whom if you bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. Another way of phrasing that, uh, if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort would be, if you send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. When we invest in others, when we treat them as we would want to treat the Lord, uh, you can think back to many times uh, in the Old Testament with Abraham and Sarah where uh, they literally, um, the older word for it would be entertained or they had 
hospitality for uh, God and a couple angels that had literally come to their tent, uh, that we would have that same thought of we want to treat others as we would want to treat Christ. You can think back to Christ's commandment that even when we give a glass of water to someone in the name of the Lord, it is as though we were doing it for him, that we would treat others as we would want to treat our Lord. So when we invest in others, that combats entitlement or greed. It's really hard to be hoarding attention and time and resources when we are giving it to others. So to combat entitlement, invest in others, listen to others. Uh, Diotrephes didn't want to listen to anybody else. And instead, uh, we need to realize that other people have the spirit and the word as well. And so we ought to listen to others. And this is a way to combat entitlement or kind of a selfish mindset. We also ought to defend others. We just talked about that in verses 9 and 10, uh, that John is encouraging Gaius to defend these people that Diotrephes is refusing to come to the church and then kicking out of his own church. We ought to be Christians that defend others, and uh, we shouldn't just always... uh, dog pile on top with other people onto others, but that we ought to defend others. To combat entitlement, we ought to spend time with God. Uh, Like we talked about earlier from verse number 11, he that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. So let's make a daily intention, daily uh, plan to meet with God, that we would know what his mind and his heart is so that we can do the same to combat entitlement, spend time with God, and then build a report of love. And I love this thought from verse number 12, where it says, Demetrius hath good report of all men and of the truth itself. Yea, and we also bear record, and you know that our record is true, that he has a good report of all men and of the truth itself. If someone were to say, Brian Self has a this kind of report. I would hope that it would be a report of love, a report of investment. I don't want to be the person that would have a report like Diotrephes of Brian loves to be first. And in our flesh, we will not have a good report. But like we learned about this morning from Pastor Carlos, we are not in the flesh anymore We are now in the Spirit and in reliance on the Spirit's work and on the Spirit bringing His fruit in our lives, we can build a report of love, that our lives would be reflective of the love of our God. So these are the four marks of a healthy church that we see from 3 John, that a healthy church loves sacrificially and that a sacrificial love takes our time, our resources, our actual words, a faithfulness as we love, and a reliance on seeing God daily. A healthy church lives daily on God's truth, and truth demands action, both visible in front of others and invisible when no one else is around. Truth produces joy in our life and in those that are around us that see truth being followed and taking place. And then truth invites the participation both of ourselves and of others. A healthy church learns to recognize family, 
and fellow Christians are known by truth of following the gospel. Fellow Christians deserve our investment and our love. We are part of the same body of Christ. So they deserve our full reception, our investment in love. And fellow Christians need support, defense, and friendship. Because both from Christians walking in the flesh and from an unloving world around us, there will be Christians that need us to help build them up, that need a safe place to land, and we ought to be that for them. And then a healthy church loathes entitlement. And to combat entitlement, we ought to invest in others, listen to others, defend others, spend time with God, and build a report of love in our life. I hope this uh, little book, only 14 verses, would be an encouragement to you. Um, But it was just such a challenge to me that as John is giving this uh, charge to Gaius, where he says, you're doing great, keep serving the Lord faithfully. Don't follow Diotrephes, who's loving to be first, but instead be like Demetrius, who has a good report from everyone and from truth itself and from us as well. If Gaius can be told all of this, then Brian can be told all of this. Arnie can be told all of this. Micah can be told all of this. That we would be individual Christians that would have these marks of of love, of truth, of family, and of a loathing of entitlement for our lives. If Gaius can be encouraged to have this, we can be encouraged to have this. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.